Let us pray. Grace, Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your ways, your truth, that you would help us to know and experience and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today with our gospel lesson that was just read, um, we are mindful and brought back to think about the transfiguration, and that's being talked about and celebrated throughout the church today around the world. And um, it's this really deeply theological moment in the life of Jesus. And it's a, a bit, we make a big deal of it in the West. They make an even bigger deal of it in the Eastern Church, um, within the Orthodox Church. They, do, they even go further than we do with it. And, but it's, it's super meaty theologically. I'm not going to go into that a whole bunch, but I want to summarize it tersely, like really quickly, and then I'm going to move on to something else. But I, want, but I do want to give it full, you know, full go so you can get an idea of how meaty this day is sort of in the life of the church and it's always put as the final reading of epiphany epiphany season can vary but they always put this one as the last thing before we head to lent so this is what you get with it but it's this moment where theologians say that it's super important because it reveals jesus's divinity in what happens it shows his divinity in it all it confirms his sonship it um it foresees how he's going to die. It cements him within the salvific history of Israel. It shows him greater than the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah. And then it, it prefigures the resurrection itself. So it's got all this, like, <laughs> there's tons of meaty theological stuff going on with it. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about more about the mountaintop and the valley that Jesus is in and talk about our own experiences of God that we have between the mountaintops, the valleys, and everything in between kind of a deal. And starting to look at that first, just to talk about some mountaintop experiences for a minute, because um, I, I would define these mountaintop experiences as moments where we have some encounter with God where we know God's in it. It's a God moment where we know God is in it and we're changed by it. We walk away from these experiences confident in God's presence, confidence in God's call and love, whatever, all these kinds of things are what these mountaintop experiences are like. And they happen in lots of different ways. We, we go back and we read the Old Testament, we'll see that there are many of these things that are taking place. And theologians give a name for it, theophany, um, where we read all the different stories. And for example, the one we got in our first reading today um, that Steve did is part of that. Now, Moses had already encountered had one of these experiences, these theophanies with Jesus, with God at the burning bush and all that. But here we learn how he's been up uh, on Mount Sinai for six days, and there's been this big cloud and all these things that come about. And um, he encounters God. He gets the Ten Commandments. He's, he comes down glowing. He has to wear a veil, all of this. Not for a moment. Like Moses, he's had all these encounters with God, but here he is. He's had this mountaintop. He's not having any doubts about God's with him, God's present, God's call, all these things have been um, confirmed in him as he comes down the mountain and he's able to share what, he, what God wants. And I want to suggest to you that these kind of things still go on today, particularly if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, which is part of the prayer that we have. But there are lots of different ways God still gives us God moments and ways where we know we've encountered his power and presence that change us. Again, particularly if we're willing to see them and be open to them, to experience them. I can think about many of them. I was thinking about, I thought I'd share today about some of these. Um, 
I think about when I first went to be an intern in London, coming out of seminary. The first week we arrived, I was at this um, week-long retreat for 1,200 people from the church. And the whole theme of the week was life in the Spirit. And I'm not going to go into all the specifics or details, but I've never been in a place or around some people where, there, where God's Spirit was so palpable. It was just so present. And it was a fantastic way for me to start my year there because it was like, God's here, God's called, you know, like there's all these things and it just builds you up and it helps build up the entire church. And I don't even, I don't know how you always make these things happen because you don't, but you're open to them and being, being able to see them. I think it often can happen to us in moments that are surprising, like even in worship. I think about one of the moments for me um, in a church where they were speaking a language I didn't even know. This was, um, I was way, way back in my 20s, was backpacking in Europe and was in Paris and it was Saturday evening, and I, I was an Episcopalian, but we went to um, Sacre Coeur for the evening mass on Saturday just to be in the place. And it was sunset, and the, they had incense, and it was, they're doing French, but I, that's okay. But it was like this moment where you could just feel God in that place, it, and it changed me. Because just an encounter of the beauty of that place, whatever it was, I'm still trying to unpack exactly what all that was or how that worked. But God was in it. Or even little things sometimes. I think back when I was in high school, headed to a retreat where I had prayed for a couple months that God would answer a very particular question at this retreat. I did this for like two months. I prayed, fasted, did some things. And I won't go into the details on this either, but I was praying as A or B, these two things I was praying about. And we walk into this room where we're going to be for the whole weekend and this bulletin board, and these questions A and B were like very unique things, but like the whole bulletin board was about A like really weird stuff. And I just sat there for like an hour with goosebumps. You know, there, I think these things still go on. And one of the favorite questions I like to ask clergy sometime, I like to ask the question, how did you experience your sense of call to go into ministry? Because they all have a story. But the one that, one of the ones, my, one of my mentors early on, I asked him that question and he, he talked about his spiritual development, but he talked about this moment where he was on his knees praying in an Episcopal church in Fort Worth and he, he heard an audible voice. Now that's rare. But that's what he said. He said happened. But you could see how it changed him completely, how it was a theophany that powered all of his ministry, that he never doubted God's presence or love or call on him after that. These things still go on. And I think part of our prayer is to pray to be open to see God at work, to, see, to, to pray to have his experience, his presence, because he's there. Those are the mountaintops. Those are rare they happen sometimes. You know, for, I had a cheesy moment. I don't often like to talk about how I write sermons. But when I came up with the, with the title, I, uh, for, I was thinking about how these moments are kind of exotic and rare. I almost named today's uh, sermon Jesus Exotic. <laughs> but I thought we'd all have too many pandemic flashbacks to the start of, if you watched, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But uh, <laughs> please don't. Um, but, um, but they're rare, but they do happen. But I think also along with that, it's not just the mountaintops. And the thing I love about the gospel lesson today, that um, it, they're put in the reading where you can do it, because it really goes together, is what happens when Jesus comes down off the mountain. And to me, it's a quick reminder of, it's, we're not meant to live on the mountaintops, and that's not the only place we encounter God. We encounter God also in the valleys, in the low places of life as well. And I think it's interesting to think about this scene that's taking place down in the valley because Jesus, 
you know, this, this whole th- thing, this theophany that took place on this day, he goes up to the mountain with the inner circle, you know, Peter, James, and John, and they go up there and they have this huge moment where, you know, I, I mean, just stop and think about those three that are up there. Their whole life, they've heard stories about Moses and Elijah and how great they are. They've heard stories about how the coming Messiah is going to have tribute paid to them by these two. And then suddenly they look up, they've been on the mountaintop, and there those two are. And then, you know, Jesus is glowing. And then they're like, we just want to stay here. Let's build these booths. Let's all hang out for a long time. And then we hear God the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's not about you. Stop. Put your tents away. It's about him. Listen to him. But when they come down to the the same time they're there, think about this. Down in the valley, the nine are still there. The nine apostles are there. They're trying to minister. They're trying to do things. And we get this from the second part of it, that there's this boy who has what people would say is probably epileptic seizures. And he's frothing on the ground. He's, you know, limbs doing all this. If you've ever been around somebody who's had a seizure, you know how scary it can be if you've never seen it for the first time. But you imagine all that's going on and the desperation of the dad who loves the son so much, holding him and begging his followers to heal this boy. We've heard how you heal. He's not healed. But then here comes Jesus down the mountain. And all the people are there. And I imagine that those nine were down there frustrated. I imagine there are people saying, you're frauds or whatever, or where's your master when he's coming down? And, you know, all the tensity, what's going on in that moment. And then Jesus takes the boy and heals him, is what we learn. And I think it's, to me, it's a great counter to go with, another bookend to go with what happened on the mountain, because... They're in such a terrible place. The dad, is, the, the dad has got all this going on, holding his son, having these seizures, begging Jesus' followers to help. That doesn't work. But then Jesus is, comes into the middle of this, feels that pain, heals him, and is in that moment as well, the same as he was up on the mountain. And I want to suggest that we oftentimes, um, we will, God will be with us wherever we go. But we oftentimes will see him, recognize him, or encounter him in the valleys as well. In, our, in the midst of our pain. And I think sometimes it's just because we're not listening or hearing. You know, C.S. Lewis used to say that pain is God's megaphone. You'll listen when we hear that. But, but I want to go beyond that. It's not that he's just trying to get to us. I think it's more of I want us to think about how he's in those moments. He's always the God of Easter, but he's also the God of Good Friday. And he enters into our pain and he walks with us and wherever we are in these valleys. And we... We see it in lots of different ways, and we look at the lives of lots of different um, saints, and people will see it. I think about the one where this uh, person I'm going to mention, um, Inigo, who on May 20th of 1521, he's in, the, in a battle in Spain, and he takes a cannonball on his leg. And he also injures the other leg, and so he's put up, he doesn't die, he's put up in a hospital. I mean, before this, life has been ugly for him. He's, he's an orphan. He's had a brother that's gone to America to never return. He's had another brother die. He's had all these things. But now he's laid up in this hospital bed with his blown leg and all of this. And in the course of that, he, he has this tremendous conversion experience where he begins to see and understand that God's with him in that place. And God has a call on him in life. And he, this, he goes on to be St. Ignatius of Loyola who founded the Jesuits. But that's his whole conversion is on that hospital bed with his leg, you know, hit with a cannonball. 
And I think it's that way. I know it is for me. I think back about, I'm, I'm t- today I'm trying to get into some of these moments with some of the stories from my own past, but I think I did my first semester of college at a, at a military school. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but, um, and that was such a bummer of a semester too, because I got glasses and all I wanted to do at the time was fly. And I don't know what they do now, but that was the end of that whole deal. But I remember when we finally got to Hell Week, how miserable it was and just the agony of what was go- everything that was going on. And when you got to Sunday, it was such a great day because they were very kind. I probably told you all this before, but they gave you a choice on Sunday. You could either stay in the barracks and scrub toilets or you could go to church. <laughs> and let me just say church attendance was, you know, was really good. <laughs> there were no atheists in that place at that time. But I remember the, that particular week, I had had this one upperclassman who'd been riding me all week miserably, just nonstop, just miserably. And I went to the local Episcopal church on Sunday when we got, when we got loose, and uh, I had this moment where I didn't know what to make of it because I'm coming down the communion line to receive communion, and I look up, and the chalice bearer is that same guy. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding, God? But I, but I did, I had this moment where, I was, where it was like, I felt like God was saying, no, it's not, don't look at his, don't look at him. It's, a, it's the bigger thing of God is with you and is gonna, is gonna, God is going to minister to you through the guy who's been writing you all week as you receive. And it was, it was just like God is in the, in the moment of that pain. And these kinds of things go on and on, sometimes in dramatic big ways and sometimes just in small moments. And I think a lot of these moments are ones where if you ever get to those low valleys, if you journal, and you go back later and read your journals later, you'll see God's hand in ways that you didn't appreciate at the time. He's there and he's working, but you don't always have that same kind of mountaintop where you, there's a glowing face or things happen. But sometimes you do. Sometimes these things kind of happen. I read an excerpt from um, Charles Marsh's book about Martin Luther King Jr. And I've not read, I mean, I, obviously he's a minister and you hear faith stories about him, but I had not heard this one, so I want to read part of it. He said, in January of 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. returned home around midnight after a long day of organizational meetings. His wife and young daughter were already in bed, and King was eager to join them. But a threatening call, the kind of call he was getting as many as 30 to 40 times a day, interrupted his attempt to get some much-needed rest. When he tried to go back to bed, he could not shake the menacing voice that kept repeating the hateful words in his head. King got up made a pot of coffee, and sat down at his kitchen table. With his head buried in his hands, he cried out to God. There in his kitchen, in the middle of the night, when he had come to the end of his strength, King met the living Christ in an experience that would carry him through the remainder of his life. In his own words, King said, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He promised never to leave me, no, never alone. In the stillness of the Alabama night, the voice of Jesus proved more convincing than the threatening voice of the anonymous caller. The voice of Jesus gave him courage to press through the tumultuous year of 1956 to the victorious end of the Montgomery bus boycott. And more than that, it gave him a vision for ministry that would drive him the rest of his life. All kinds of ways that God meets us in the valleys, sometimes big and dramatic, sometimes the stuff we read later in in our journals. But anywhere between the mountaintops and the valleys, there's all this stuff that I'm figuratively calling the plain, that God meets us in the plain. And this is the ordinary part of life. And I think a lot of this 
is how open are we going to be and how much are we going to engage God? Because I think a whole lot of this comes down to our prayer life and our willingness um, to invite God's spirit to work with us, to give us the, the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and all of this. I was reading, a number of years ago, I went to a dinner that was hosted um, for the International Justice Mission, which is the group that um, a bunch of, pros- uh, the guy who started, I think, was a U.S. attorney that later started this thing where they, they fight against the sex, sex trade around the world and the people in all these different conditions. But they're, they're one of these organizations, they do a couple of really interesting things. One is they have every employee of this nonprofit, they take 30 minutes a day to be in silence and meditation and prayer every day. And I love part of what he says, because I believe this. Um, he says that prayerless striving leads only to exhaustion. And those of who've worked long in outreach, trust me, I believe that completely. Um, and he goes on to say, um, this is Gary Haugen. Um, he says, I've learned just how crucial it is to settle my soul in the presence of Jesus every morning. And so he wants that for his whole team. Even though it's tempting to hurry in our, to work, we intentionally still ourselves and connect with our maker, the God who delights in restoring and encouraging his children. And that's on, I mean, if we're going to see God encounter God in the plains where it's not glowing faces on the mountaintop or it's not us with our faces in our hands in pain, in this middle ground, I think it calls us to be very deliberate in quieting down and having these moments of silence and inviting God and sitting in Jesus's presence and being mindful of it as we pray and as we read scripture and we do, we do all those different kinds of things. Um, I'll end with just one story, just a quick, or a quick say. I had a voice or an email yesterday from a parishioner here who had re- knew this was the reading today. He just, he made this comment that he'd been here 30 years and he said, for me, the thing that made the biggest difference in encountering God was being open to the Holy Spirit. And he told me the story about how he'd gotten into Alpha here and how it had changed him. But this idea that we have a whole different spiritual life, the more we invite God and his spirit to reign in us, um, it'll change us. And that's how we encounter him, I think, in the plains as we do life uh, that way. We encounter God on mountaintops and it changes us. We encounter God in the valleys and the hard times and we encounter God in the plains. And all these things are happening at once. That story from our gospel lesson today, everything going on, on the mountaintop was happening at the same time that boys got everything going on in the valley. And the person next to you today may be having an experience of God's joy, and the, and the person on the other side of you may be in a valley. All this stuff is going on, but God's in it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you're with us always, as you've promised us. On this day, as we reflect on these things, more than ever, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you would um, fill us with your spirit and help us to be open to your leading and guiding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.